Acts chapter 16. And we're going to read in verse 16. Today we are continuing our thought process on hitting the reset button. Reset. You're going to notice some parallels today from the first one when we talked about resetting your attitude. Today we are talking about this idea of resetting your focus. Resetting your focus. You know, it's, there's a study. It was research that was done by a professor at Northwestern University and they studied Olympic medalists. And in their discovery, they found that bronze medal winners were happier than silver medal winners. Bronze medal winners were happier than silver medal winners. And, and here's why. The silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning the gold, and so they weren't satisfied with silver. Whereas the bronze medalists tended to focus on how close they came to not winning a medal at all and were happy that they got the bronze. I think that study is, it reveals an interesting facet of a human nature. And that facet is this, your focus determines your reality. You're going to hear that a lot throughout the message today. Your focus determines your reality. How we feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. If that were the case, then silver medalists would feel better than bronze medalists because obviously they had achieved more. They had done better. But how we feel is based on our subjective focus. Here's another way to put that. And I believe we have this on the screen. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. I'll let you dwell on that for just a minute. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. All of us know people who can find something good to focus on, even in the midst of bad situations. And all of us know other people who are, can focus on bad things in the midst of good situations. There's a principle that we need to, learn, to kind of share right out of the gate. It's a universal principle, and that's this. It's, it just says this. We tend to see what we're looking for, and it deals with focus. We tend to see what we're looking for. For example, if you decide that you don't like someone, you'll notice everything that's wrong about that person. Man, they just talk too much. Man, they just don't even let me have a word edgewise. I don't like their haircut. I can't believe that they eat onions. And we'll notice everything that's wrong about a person. But on the flip side of that too is if you're really head over heels over somebody, they can do no wrong, right? Joe, you just made out right there, buddy. The rest of you guys missed that opportunity right there. (laughs) We tend to see what we're looking for. So what's that have to do with resetting your focus? Well, oftentimes, I think that we focus on things that give us a negative or perhaps even worldly perspective. We 
then have an attitude that, that kind of helps us develop that. And, and we tend to, whatever we're looking for, the things that we want to see, those are the things that we see. And sometimes I think that clouds our vision of what God has for our life and what he wants to put in front of us. I'm going to share something about myself today that maybe most of you probably don't know. Oh, it's funny, because all of a sudden I see people like, with their pens ready. I have this thing that I've had since I was a kid, and it's double vision. Anytime that I look to my left without turning my head, I see double. That's really been kind of interesting throughout my life to try to work with. Um, I was a baseball player, and, and, and I hit right-handed, and the first, I remember, you know, every once in a while, you get that pitch out, and all of a sudden, you see two baseballs coming at you, and that's kind of a weird instance and a weird thing. I don't know if you've ever, if you've never experienced double vision, you probably don't understand a whole lot about what that looks like, but if I am looking out of my left eye, and I'm looking to my left without moving my head, over time, I've kind of developed it. So if I'm looking at you and I do one of these, like, it's not because you look weird. It's because I'm seeing two of you, all right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just messes with my mind, all right? And, and so in that double vision process, what typically happens is it's hard for me to determine which one is the real and which one is an illusion, in the double vision process, it's hard for me to determine where I need to put my focus. As, for instance, in a baseball game, if I were to turn and look, I've got to pick one of the two balls to hit, and it's kind of a 50-50 chance whether or not I'm going to hit the right one. You're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with focus? I'm about to tell you. Sometimes I think we have this double vision when it comes to our life. We have this thought process of focusing on God, on focusing on worship, on focusing on what is good, and we have also this vision of worldly, distorted, unsignificant things in our mindset. And one thing that I think we get sometimes is this double vision of focus. And what happens when you get double vision of focus, at least whenever I see double vision, I find that my focus is really far off on what's real. I have a hard time on focusing on what's reality. I can lose equilibrium. And if I maintain that, that viewpoint for a long period of time, I'll even develop headaches and be able to function, unable to function very well. I think the same thing is true about us spiritually. We want to have this mindset of worship and seeking after God, but we try to split our focus and our priorities in doing so. And we end up not sure where we actually stand between the two. Other things become more important. Other things become more, um, shall I say, uh, they cloud our vision. And we become doubly focused. The Word of God talks about it this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you are unstable, if you have two visions of two different things that you're trying to go toward, you will find yourself unstable. You will find yourself out of equilibrium. You will find yourself in a pickle and in a headache and in a mess. Because God is calling you to focus. And we need to reset our focus. 
So how do we do this? How do we remedy this? How do we get rid of this double vision? How do we get our focus back? I think the, the thing that I see throughout Scripture and the thing that I've noticed in my life is this. Worship gets me, has the ability to change my focus to what's right about God and what's wrong about me. I want us to look at that passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 16. We've used this passage not too long ago as we talked similar topics of this. Let me just kind of set the scene here. Paul and Silas are in a prison cell in Philippi. I encourage you to read the entire chapter for yourself, but kind of to give you a synopsis of what's taking place here. The, they had cast a demon out of a servant girl, a fortune teller, and her master was upset with that. He doesn't like it very much because they took money out of his pocket. And basically, she loses the ability to predict the future because how many of you know fortune tellers are nothing but demons in disguise? Well, I got a few amens. And so because of this, he has Paul and Silas arrested. And here we come to verse 16. It says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave. That kind of gives the, the, the scenario of what I talked about. Going on down to verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let me just kind of pause right there. Paul, I've had some pretty bad days in my life. There have been some things that I've had happen in my life that were pretty bad at times, but this is a bad, 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 bad day. Here are these two guys, they're missionaries, they're preaching the word of God, and they find themselves being emotionally, physically, and spiritually spent. Most of us have probably never, even in our worst day, have ever experienced anything like this before. Their backs are bleeding from the beating they just took. They have been, uh, they're black and blue all over, and they had to be a little bit ticked off. I mean, just think about that for a minute. I've never had a mob come against me. I've never had a group of people come rushing at me. But at, in this moment, you're thinking, man, I, I'm sure that that would kind of set you off a little bit. And to top it off, they land themselves in a maximum security prison in stocks. I can't imagine it getting much worse than that, other than death. And the Bible goes on to say this, and this is what it doesn't say around midnight in verse 25, Paul and Silas were complaining and grumbling and griping to one another. And yelling at the jailer, couldn't believe where they'd been, doesn't say that at all. This is where I think focus comes into play, right here. That no matter what my external circumstances are, the focus is where it needs to be. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly 
there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came, came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought him out, them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Instead of complaining, instead of griping, instead of, oh, woe is me, what did they do? They started worship because worship tends to create your focus. Let me give you three thoughts about this, how to reset your focus today. Um, maybe you're today and you've got double vision. Maybe you're kind of not really, maybe your focus isn't on the Lord like it should be. We're going to talk about that toward the end of the message. But today I want to talk about how do we reset that? How do, how do we hit that reset button? The first one is this. You have to zoom out. You have to zoom out. It's important to gain perspective. Have you ever been in a spiritual or an emotional slump? I know I have from different times. And you know when that usually happens in my life is when I am zoomed in on an issue or a problem. When I was youth pastoring in Illinois, we had a guest come in, and, and I've shared this before. He, he did this illustration with our students, and I thought it was hilarious. He would take their stud our students, and he would say, put your finger out like this, and, and they all did that. And, and then he would say, take that finger and put it right up on your nose. Can you see very well? Well, no. I mean, you can try it if you want to. You look silly, but you can try it if you want to. Why is that? It's because you have taken your issue and your problem, and you have made it your only focus. But what we needed to do is to take that and zoom it out and put it in perspective. And when you take the things of life and you zoom them out and you put it in perspective, it allows you to see the big picture of who you are and whose you are. We talked about that earlier this morning in those words that came forward. Whose you are and who you are in Christ. And so we get to zoom out. So how do we zoom out of those things? How do we get some distance between our issues and, um, and where we are to where we need to be? I believe the answer to that is one word, and it's found worship. Paul and Silas set the, set the model for us here. Worshiping is taking our eyes off of our external circumstances and focusing on God. When we stop focusing on what's wrong with us, and we start focusing on what's right with God. Mark Patterson said that in his book. What a powerful word that is. Because I think so often we get so consumed with what's wrong with us that we forget to remember what's right with God. Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained about where they were. They could have said things like this, my goodness, Lord, we cast out a demon and this is what we get. You called us to be missionaries, man. You have placed a call on our life to go and to preach your word, and here I am in this jail cell? Come on, man. They could have said things like, man, our back is bleeding, our, we're, we're hurting, we take a beating. Is this what it's all about? They could have complained. There's an expression we use in Indiana. They could have complained till the cows came home. I don't know where the cows ever go, 
but till they came home. But they made a choice to worship instead of focusing on external circumstances. Here's what worship does. Remember I talked about double vision? Worship restores equilibrium. Worship restores, it helps us regain perspective because it enables me to worship a God that's got me as well as everything about me in the palm of his hand. And it helps me to regain that perspective. It's zooming out and refocusing on the big picture. It's refocusing on the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died on a cross to pay my penalty of sin. It's refocusing on the fact that God loves me when I least expect it and when I least deserve it. It's refocusing on the fact that God's going to get me where God wants me to go. It's refocusing on the fact that I have an eternity to look forward to that's beyond this place. Worship is refocusing on the fundamentals of my faith. And here's what happens when we do that. God restores that joy of your salvation. I think a lot of people walk around, I think a lot of believers walk around today without joy. Why? Because we have double vision. We have double vision. We've allowed different things to to try to mess up our focus. And when we zoom in our focus and we worship the Lord and we put our attention on Him, it restores that joy again. You can't find joy in this life any place else but God. Is it easy to do? No, it's not. There's nothing more difficult than praising God and when everything seems to be going wrong. But one of the purest forms of worship is praising God when you don't feel like it. Zooming out and praising God when you don't feel like it. We used to sing a song back in the day. It used to go, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I never got that song really until I went to Bible college. And when I went to Bible college, I was going through a difficult season of life. There's some things that were going on. And when you're a college student, man, you go all through, you have no money. Um, You basically, you know, you don't want to study, but you have to. All these things that are going on, relationships, your life's a mess, all these things that the devil bombards you with, especially in Bible college. And I remember we're in, we're in chapel one day, and, and they started striking up that song, and I'm like, we bring the sacrifice of praise. Because I'm, I'm mad, man. My focus is not where it needed to be. I'm just going to be honest. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And then all of a sudden the words started getting a little bit more into my head. And I began to think about what I was singing because sometimes we just kind of get to the point where we don't think about what we're singing. We just kind of read them off the wall. And I got to thinking about what I'm singing. We bring the sacrifice of praise. You mean praise is supposed to be a sacrifice? Some days it is. Come on. Some days worship is, is difficult. Some days it's not easy. But when you bring a sacrifice of praise, what you're doing is you're saying, I am regaining my focus. And this is not going to, in, to hinder me from where I need to be. So I bring a sacrifice of worship. I zoom out, if you will, and I see perspective, and it reframes my circumstances. Secondly is this. Focus resets your ability to 
to respond. Focus resets your ability to respond. There was a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl was a Holocaust survivor in Nazi Germany. He had experiences that he wrote about in his book, everything being from being taken away from the prisoners and um, to isolation to the times when he was stripped of his clothing, he was stripped of his pictures, he was stripped of his personal belongings, and actually they even stripped him of his name, and they gave him a number. Victor Frankl's number was 100,019-104. Everything was taken away except one thing, and Frankl says it this way, he says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, the, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. This is where we kind of overlap a little bit with that idea of attitude, resetting your attitude. I'm absolutely convinced that the most important choice you make every day is your attitude. How you are going to look at situations. The outcome of your life will be determined by the outlook of your life. If you have a critical complaining spirit, you'll complain till the day you die. Your life will get worse and worse and because you'll accumulate more and more negative experiences. But if you have a worshipful spirit life, it only gets better and better and better. Why? Because you're accumulating positive experiences. And at the end of the day, one way or the other, your focus determines your reality. I think about these guys in prison. Paul and Silas, their bodies were changed. They're in stocks. Have you ever seen stocks? Have you ever like, seen what stocks look like? The old-time stocks, at least what we used to have around here, you'd have these things where they put your feet in, and then they'd chain you and lock it up, and then they put your arms in, and, man, you're just kind of like there, right? No getting out, no moving, praying to the Lord you don't have an itch, that your nose doesn't start itching. You know, that would be tough. These guys are in stocks. They're in terrible situation. And their bodies were chained. That even though their bodies were chained, their spirits were soaring, free. Now, I have a lot of MP3 tracks. I listen to a lot of different kinds of praise and worship music and different kinds of Christian music and stuff. There'd be one MP3 pack track I'd like to have, and that's this one. Paul and Silas in the middle of the prison singing. What was that like? Because I just kind of wonder what their singing would have been like to make the earth shake. Oh, I'm going to meddle. Are you ready? I'm going to meddle a little bit. Ready or not. I tell some of you like, no, no, no. I don't think that they did worship like this. In that moment. And there's nothing wrong with quiet worship at times. I don't think that they did worship with just a soft spoken thing. I think their worship was a shout. Have you ever heard somebody who can't sing 
shout at the top of their lungs a song. Come on. Your spouse in the shower, maybe you in the shower, you're just belting it out and the whole house can hear. Come on. How awesome is that? There's something about that that's just really cool, you know? And, you know, sometimes, you know, you get down and you, like, start singing. And, and I know sometimes my wife will come in and say, are you singing? I'm like, yeah, I'm singing. And I think these two guys, I picture these two guys in the cell, cell singing together. It may not be in harmony. It may not be in, but they got the same song in their heart. They got the same song in their spirit. And all of a sudden, they just start belting it out. And you know what happens when God, we praise God, God inhabits that place. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their worship, and in the middle of their song, and in the middle of their heart, beginning to get focused on where it needed to be, because their focus went from the chains to their God, God showed up, and in the middle of that place, the earth started to shake, and the ground started to move, and the stocks became free. And I'm telling you, church, if you will make worship your focus and you'll allow it to get to the place where you get off of your circumstance and get on to God, you don't know what God will do in the process of that. The things that were bounding you, that circumstance that had its control over you, all of a sudden you'll begin to feel the freedom of that because you'll begin to understand that there's a movement that's taking place. The earth beneath you in the spiritual realms is starting to move and the things that are happening you don't know and you can't control. But there's one thing that you see, and that's your eyes focused on the Lord. And as your eyes are focused on him, the earth spiritually and sometimes even physically underneath you begins to shake. And God can take you out of the craziest of circumstances, and he can put you back on the rock when you focus your heart on him. That's what worship does. Give God praise. Hallelujah. The third thing today is this. Resetting our focus allows us to have premeditative cognitive commitments. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'll explain that in a second. There's no way in the world that Paul and Silas could have come up with or planned this miraculous jailbreak. To make this, as we talked about earlier, there's an earthquake that happens. Prisoners are set free, but they don't leave. Come on now. If we went down to the prison and there was an earthquake and all of a sudden everybody was free, how many of you know they're probably going to leave? This was a maximum security prison. And nobody leaves. The jailer was about to kill himself. Do you know why he was about to kill himself? It's because if somebody was on your watch, if somebody got out of prison on your watch, it meant your life for theirs. And so he was about to kill himself. But what happens? He turns out he gets saved. His whole family gets saved and they get baptized in the middle of the night. Can I just tell you, you can't script that kind of thing. You can't, you can't put that, you can't plan for miracles. But when you worship God in the midst of the worst situations that you've ever known, crazy things begin to happen. And I said this just a while ago. Worship sets the stage for miracles. I believe that. 
Worship is the way we stay positive in negative circumstances. No matter how bad things get, as a follower of Christ, I can tell you I have an eternity of heaven to look forward to. Is the pain I'm going through real? Yeah, it is. But so is heaven. The good news is that the reality is where I'm at today is just temporary. But the key is focusing on the right reality. I found this fascinating statistic that the average person talks to themselves about 50,000 times a day. Some of you do it more. Some of you maybe a little less. But the average person talks to themselves about 50,000 times a day. The craziest thing of that is that 80% of that talk, those pep talks you give yourself, 80% of those are negative of the 50,000. You have a negative thought process. It was funny. We were, um, I, I was sharing with one of our, our small group leaders. I usually give them kind of a little bit of an outline beforehand. And, and uh, I was sharing with Brother Tom. And, and Tom had this thing. He, he came across this. And uh, he, he said something to me. He put this emoji with his tongue sticking out. And his, I like that. And I went, one. One negative thought. Then he sends me another emoji with this kind of, uh, it was, I don't remember what it was at the time, but and then I put two, two negative thoughts. And, and those are, the, it's funny, and, and that's kind of an interesting thought, but, you know, how many times do we do that when you talk to yourself? Oh, man, I could never do that. I could never be this. I could never accomplish that. We say negative things to ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. And here's what happens. We allow what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what's right with God. And we're focused on the wrong reality. There was a, a lady, her name was Ellen Longer, and she wrote a book called Mindfulness. And in that mindfulness book, she says that all of us have premeditated cognitive commitments. Now, I'm going to tell you what that means. The translation of that is this. We tend to see what we're looking for. We tend to see what we're looking for. A pessimist will always see something bad in a good situation, and an optimist will tend to see something good in a bad situation. Paul gives us some priceless advice in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He lists eight premeditated cognitive commitments for us to follow in First Philippians, I'm um, First Philippians. There's only one. Um, in Philippians, don't you love it when your mind does crazy things like that? In Philippians, yeah, at least I didn't say amphibians or something like that, right? Um, in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, he says this about our thinking. He says, "Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure." whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. A worshiper finds something to praise God for because they're looking for something to praise God for. A worshiper finds something to praise God for because they are looking for something to praise God for. Give a closing thought here. The circumstances that 
we complain about, the things that we allow to be our double-minded things, that thing that's taking away from your true focus, you know what that's really causing? It's causing chains around you. It's causing you to be in prison. Worship is the resetting of your focus to find the way out. It was worship that set Paul and Silas free physically, and it's worship that will set you free because worship sets off a chain reaction that causes prison doors to fly open and chains to come off. Stop focusing on what's wrong about you and start focusing on what's right about God. Are there circumstances that you're allowing to imprison you? Are there things that you've allowed to keep your focus a double focus? I want to close with this passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to give you an assignment for the week as we approach this table. We're going to have communion together, and then at the end of our service time, I'm going to give you an assignment for the week. But I want us to go, and we'll close with this passage of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, focus, that's focus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Another way you can look at that thing, at the, that verse 3, so you will not grow weary and lose focus. Because so often, we get so caught up in the things of life that we have double vision and we've lost our focus. He says here to throw off the sin that entangles, to throw off the stuff and to get yourself focused by fixing your eyes on Jesus. We do that by worship. And Today, I challenge you with that thought. Maybe you're here today and spiritually or maybe even emotionally, you're seeing double. And God's speaking to your heart today. You feel the Holy Spirit tugging at you, saying, you know what? You need to stop your negativity. You're complaining. You need to stop doing what you're doing, and you need to come to the Lord and regain your focus. This morning, that's the challenge for us. We've talked about in this entire series how nice it would be if we just had a reset button with things in life, that we could just push, man, oh, I really messed that up. I wish I could go back and push that reset button. Well, today, can I tell you, I can't go back and change the past, but what you can do is starting from today forward, you can change your outlook and your future, and it starts with regaining Would you bow your heads, please? Father, today, Holy Spirit, move in this place right now in the name of Jesus. Move in this place, Holy Spirit, and speak to lives this morning.
we're getting ready to take communion today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to get ready and take communion here in just a few moments. Let me just kind of give you a, a thought before we get there. Communion brings us back to the place of worship. Communion brings us back to the place where we understand that Jesus paid it all. And it helps us to focus our attention and our thoughts on him. Maybe you're here this morning and, man, something that was spoken, something that was said, it triggered the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart this morning. And you need to respond to that today. And you say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I... I, my focus is, I'm seeing double vision. Some of you maybe have your focus completely off of God. Com- There's no double vision. You're just not focusing on God at all. You're doing your own thing, doing life your own way, thinking that's where it's going to get you is fulfillment in that place. But can I tell you, the only place that will get you is heartache. The only place that will get you is an eternity away from God when you do it your way. And I challenge you today to fix your eyes, throw off the sin that entangles you, and set your focus on the Lord today. Maybe you're here today and you've got double vision. I know what that's like physically, especially. But maybe you're here today and you've got spiritual double vision. What do you mean by that, Pastor? what we talked about. Yeah, you've got one eye that's kind of focusing on the Lord and and one eye you're trying to do your own thing and trying to balance the two. But the problem is, is you're not sure which one's reality and which one's not. You're having a hard time keeping things equal because the devil will always see that the things of Jesus dims and moves where he's the rock and the fixture, but the devil will give you this illusion that the thing that's most important is the other thing you see. And you're here this morning, you know, Pastor, I need to get rid of that double vision of my life and refocus on Jesus. No matter what your circumstances is today, and maybe you're here and you say, man, I'm, I'm just in a terrible circumstance. I feel like I'm in the middle of a jail cell and I need to refocus my heart today. If you respond to any of those this morning, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to count to three and I just want you to lift your hand to the Lord and say, God, that's me. I need to refocus my life. I need to refocus some things. One, two, three. Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. I need to refocus. I got double vision. I need to refocus. Got my heart going a different way. I need to refocus. I need to see what's important. And I need to worship God in the middle of this terrible thing. I need to get my, my bearings again. I need to come back to Jesus again. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to have everyone stand in just a moment, and we're going to pray. And whenever we pray, I want you to lift your hands to God, and I want you to ask God, God, give me my focus. And we're going to worship the Lord this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray that with me when we do. Would you stand, please? Let's pray this prayer together. As if, if that was you and you raised your hand, I want you to raise your hand again to the Lord and say, God, that's me. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus. Today I choose to get my focus right with you. The things that have distracted me, I lay at your feet. Forgive me, Lord, for being double-visioned. Forgive me, Lord, 
for doing it my way. Forgive me, Lord, for focusing on other circumstances when I should have been focusing on you. Today I make a commitment that worship will be my life, that my focus will remain true to you. And I'm going to serve you with all of my attention and with all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just praise the Lord right now? I'm going to ask our brothers if they will come and get ready for communion today. Would you just give the Lord praise? Hallelujah. God, we worship you this morning.